Hello and welcome to the Week 17 edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. This has been a crazy season, almost like two and one. When I think about it, I think back to November 3rd. That was the day the Jets lost to the winless Dolphins in Miami. They were one and seven, absolutely dead. And I remember getting back to my hotel that night in Fort Lauderdale, and there were rumors flying around that Adam Gase was on the verge of being fired. My editors at ESPN suggested that I work ahead and prepare a news story just in case. We do that a lot in this business because you want to have something ready to go when the news breaks. So I stayed up half the night writing the news story, the Gase's fired story with an analysis that would accompany it. So slept for a couple hours, got up for a flight the next morning and uh, thinking possibly there was an outside chance he could be fired at the airport. I received word that that would not happen. But still, the fact that we were even talking about it or thinking about it shows you how low this season was at one point. Since then, the Jets have won five out of seven games. They're six and nine heading into Buffalo for this finale. And if they finish seven and nine, which I think is possible, it would be a minor miracle considering all the injuries and all the adversity they've had to overcome. So how did this happen? How did this turn around happen? Five quick reasons, and then I'm going to get into my end-of-season awards. One, soft schedule. There's no denying it. They caught a, a lot of favorable matchups here over the second half of the year. They beat the Giants, Redskins, Raiders, and Dolphins, all teams with losing records. Only team with a winning record that they beat the Steelers on Sunday. To me, the best win of the year. Okay, number two, Sam Darnold overcame that slump at midseason. Cut down on his turnovers, only three picks in the last seven games. Give him his props. He's a reason, too, why they've turned it around. Number three, the offensive line. Absolutely brutal early in the year. Established some continuity. Improved their pass protection. Only one game where they've had more than two sacks over the last seven, and that was the bad game in Cincinnati. Number four, defense. Smoke and mirrors, baby. Smoke and mirrors. A lot of injuries, a lot of different lineups. They just keep on cycling in different guys, and the defense has kept the team in the game for the most part. Only one game over the last seven where they've allowed more than 27, and that, of course, was the Baltimore disaster against Lamar Jackson. Number five, special teams. Sam Fickens hit some big field goals, hit the game winner in Miami, came through again on Sunday with the Steelers. Uh, They won the field position game against the Steelers, and you know, Adam Gase, when he meets with the team every Wednesday, he does this PowerPoint presentation, puts up a whole bunch of, you know, detailed, funky statistics. And this week, his emphasis was defense and special teams and how they had to win the field position battle. He told the team, this is going to be an ugly game. That's how we're going to have to win it. And sure enough, that's exactly how it played out. They win 16-10. So those are reasons why the Jets turned it around. Now we get to the end-of-season awards. Break it down into a few different categories here. Biggest surprise player, going with Ryan Griffin, the tight end. Really came out of nowhere. They got him on the eve of training camp. He's got five touchdown catches. He's injured now, but did a nice job. He's coming back next year because they signed him to a contract extension. Next, uh, biggest disappointment. 
I'm going to break that up into two categories, preseason and regular season. Preseason, Ja'Kai Polite, third-round pick out of Florida, did not get it done, bad attitude, bad fit schematically, and they cut him almost unheard of to cut a third-round pick, but they did it. Regular season, Tremaine Johnson. Remember all that talk on the preseason? Oh, he's reunited with Greg Williams. This is going to re-energize him. Career turnaround. Well, none of that happened. Bad production, bad attitude, got injured. He'll be cut in the offseason, and they're going to take a large cap hit for that. Best free agent signing, Jamison Crowder. Leads the team with 70 catches. Good pickup at $9.5 a year. Worst free agent signing. Extenuating circumstances here. I get it. But I'm a tough grader, and I go on bottom line production. Le'Veon Bell has not been a $13 million a year running back. 748 rushing yards, 3.3 a carry. And to me, the one stat that blows my mind, longest run, only 19 yards. So I know a lot. Goes on the offensive line, which has clearly had some issues. But the running back also has to take some responsibility. And the fact that he hasn't had a run longer than 19 yards is really eye-opening. Unsung hero, James Burgess Jr. What was he, like the 45th middle linebacker this year for the Jets? Well, he comes in, a guy who's been cut eight times in his career, including once by the Jets, by the way. And now he's second on the team in tackles. Good for him. James Burgess Jr., the unsung hero. Top rookie. Uh, Not a lot of standouts here. Some guys with solid seasons. But I'm going with Kyle Phillips, undrafted out of Tennessee, over Quinn and Williams, only because Kyle Williams, Kyle Phillips, has been there for every game. Best personnel move. This one flew under the radar, and we've got to give Mike McCagnan credit here. Brian Poole, one year, $3 million dollars. Comes in, he's done a really good job in the slot all year. The Jets should sign him in free agency. He was a really, really good pickup for them. Worst personnel move, Ryan Khalil. Early in camp, Joe Douglas went out and got the veteran center, thinking he would stabilize the offensive line. He was out of shape, just didn't work out, had a trouble adapting to the new scheme. Ended up getting hurt, but he really was not playing well when he got hurt. Bad personnel move, that's the worst. Most improved player, well, I'm going with Robbie Anderson based on what he's done over the last few games. He's averaged 80 yards receiving over the last five games. And so Robbie Anderson, our most improved player, our least improved. And now this is going to sound idiotic coming off of Sunday's game, but I'm going with Marcus May. Now, I realize he made the game-saving play with that great PBU in the end zone, but up until then, Marcus has had a kind of a quiet year, and I, I was expecting a little bit more out of him in his third year. I like his upside, but the production has not been there, at least not until Sunday. The Hard Luck Award, three-way tie here between C.J. Mosley, Chris Herndon, and Sam Darnold. Mosley and Herndon, believe it or not, combined to play only three games because of injuries, and Darnold with the mono. What can you say? Missed three games because of an unlucky break. Offensive play of the year, I'm going with Darnold to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards for a touchdown against the Cowboys. One of the longest in Jet history. To me, you know, there haven't been a lot of great offensive plays this year, let's be quite honest, but that one was really spectacular. Defensive play of the year happened on Sunday. Marcus May with the pass breakup in the end zone. 
He's a safety, but he covered the receiver Washington 40 yards downfield and makes a uh, backwards, falling backwards strip to save a game-saving touchdown. Best game of the year? Pittsburgh. Only team they've beaten with a winning record. Pittsburgh in the playoff chase. Had a lot of motivation. The Jets beat them. Good win. Worst game of the year for the Jets? Even worse than that Miami loss that I referenced at the top. The Cincinnati debacle. One of the worst performances I've ever seen from the Jets. Complete no-show. They lose to the then-winless Bengals. Offensive player of the year? You know... Could have gone a couple of different ways here, but I'm going to give it to Sam Darnold. He didn't take the leap everyone was expecting in his second year. But again, he's had some issues with the offensive line, the mono. I'm giving him Offensive Player of the Year. He has improved in most every statistical category. He gives you hope for the future. Defensive Player of the Year, really not much of a choice here. It is Jamal Adams. He's the leader. He's the catalyst. He was a force at the line of scrimmage with six and a half sacks, led the team in tackles for loss, had a pick six for a touchdown. You know, he could make more plays in coverage when he's asked to do so. But for what he was asked to do, which is to basically wreak havoc in the box, he did it very well, deserving of his second Pro Bowl. And our team MVP, right there again, Jamal Adams, for all the reasons I just mentioned, He is a building block player. The Jets would be nuts to trade him unless they just get blown away by an offer. The kind of guy you want to keep for the future. And that's the end of the first quarter. This is the second quarter, and I'd like to welcome in our special guest, Jets linebacker Jordan Jenkins. I think one of the bright spots this season for the Jets. All right. Thanks, Jordan, for joining us on Flight Deck. Always an interesting week in the NFL. Last week of the year, you guys are preparing for a game at Buffalo, but you have the holidays, and I'm sure you got some family members over your house this week. What's it like for a player? How hard is it to focus on a game with all the Christmas stuff going on? Uh, you know, it's definitely up there because, you know, you want to spend time with the family and uh, enjoy the rare moments you get with your folks. Cause a lot of people, sometimes they, the holidays when they only get, when they really get to see them, but, I mean, ultimately, you get paid to do this, so you got to be a pro about it, and you got to learn to manage it all. Like, man, like, I know you want to spend your time, but you have to also spend time for work and you're ready to finish, uh, finish strong. You know, except for the Lamar Jackson game, I think the defense has been really solid this year, except for, you know, ex- you know, considering all the injuries you've had. Why have, what has enabled you guys to hang together and be so good on defense? Honestly, we just, really just know how to work well with each other like this is defense like we do the ex- we do the extra stuff like we meet outside of uh like the slotted times that we have like um is we don't need we have a lot of player led meetings like where like the front seven to come in uh on the off days and meet for about an hour and go over like the fronts how we're gonna make the calls how we're gonna do um, different checks if this happens versus if this happens and just getting an understanding of how the backers are going to call it so we know how we can make our next adjustments off of that. And then on Fridays, we also meet us together as defense and go over a couple plays from certain games and um, just make the, do the same little thing again, but just with the entire defense. Yeah, I mean, you can really tell. I mean, it seems like no matter who gets, who's in the lineup and who, or, you know, you're cycling in so many different guys, but it seems like you guys have been able to maintain that continuity. I'm sure that extra time probably helps in that respect. 
Oh yeah, most definitely. That's something that um, we just we uh, really emphasize this year is making sure we do what uh what responsibilities everyone had and not have any oh I didn't know the call or oh I didn't know we did this or oh I didn't know we did that. We want to eliminate that and just make it to where if um the only way we lose is to not really that but just to put the game on our control and not have right. to worry about not getting the call or not having the perfect call. Just knowing what no one's going to come out before it comes out. Now you are obviously a valuable member of that defense. You lead the team with seven sacks right now. And so every Jet fan wants to know, going into the offseason, is Jordan Jenkins going to be around next year? Because, you know, you're going into free agency. What's your future hold? Are you going to be a Jet? You know, honestly, I don't uh, know too much about that. I try and uh, I focus on stuff during the season now, and I'm like, I don't even want to tell my agent. I don't even want to hear none of that. Like whatever, whatever happens, I just want to focus on playing football. Like I said off of Twitter and all other stuff. Like only thing I really worried about this all, all this year was playing this season, playing this game, and uh, that's my same focus going into this last one. And everything that happens uh, after that, that's when that's when I'll start getting my head on that. Because otherwise, you just get you get too jumbled up between mm-hmm. spending the holidays with your family, focusing on the game plan. And, it's just too much to worry about right now. So I'm like, I'm only going to worry about the things I control. And that's my effort, my play, and what I do out there on Sundays. Would you like to stay with the Jets? Oh, yeah, most definitely. I love Gray. I love the system and everything. I love how uh, I used the players. And, I mean, I've always said that all season long. Like, same mentality that I have. Like, aggressiveness, violence. And it's just a really, really good thing. And uh, I feel like the ball's turning around. Like, things are turned around here. You know, the record didn't show it, but I feel like things are turning around in this organization. Yeah, and one thing about your career, if you look at it, each year you seem to get a little bit better. You know, your stats go up a little bit this year, and right now you got seven sacks, which is tied for your career high. And I know you're probably dying to get one on Sunday, right? <laughs> just so you yeah, can, just yeah. so you can get that eighth one, right? Yeah, trying to steal a couple of them. Uh, there's a couple of games, but there's one and uh, where I'm like, I've been, I got beef with Jamal because he. Uh, I, there's a play he was supposed to be dropping, and uh, but he bit on the uh, run play action against the Redskins, and I stood him inside, and uh, Haskins fell right before I get tagged. Jamal comes in to tag off, and then in the Giants game, me and Jamal both hit uh, Daniel Jones at the same time. He gets the ball out, so he gets the full sack. So I'm like, darn it, that would have been my, uh, that would have put me fast, my career high. But you know, I'm gonna go out there and try and stop the run early so we can. Uh, Get after uh, Allen and company back there. Now, what I, I know that's a source of pride for you. you know, you've gotten better each year, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, you do a lot, lot of work in the off season, right? Working with you know pass rushing specialists, and and you know how much have you put into that aspect of your game? And do you think you're seeing the fruits of all that work now? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's just that, and just sort of really getting more comfortable and with the mentality that I belong here. And it's like it's a lot. A lot of it's mental, like you just not letting anybody tell you what you can and can't do and not worrying about what people think. Like, everybody, like, you just can't really focus on that. That's sort of something I did this season. Really um, focus on getting stronger and doing, uh, I also spent some time with Chuck, and I was supposed to go see the, like, uh, the forward guy in Houston, but I didn't, didn't end up getting to do that, but that's something I'll plan on doing this offseason, just proving the footwork and everything like that as well this year. Yeah, now, you know, you talked about how you like the game, the violent nature of the game, and I think you're a perfect match for Greg Williams because, you know, he has that sort of mentality. What's it like to play for Greg Williams? Um, I mean, playing for Greg, it's, it's something that's uh, it, it's a fun thing, you know, because you really can just 
be as aggressive as you want and not have to worry about reading and reacting. It's like, I'm a guy, I like to get my hand on people early. I'm like, I like being physical with guys. And it's like, um, Greg has no problem with that. And that's one of the things I really like. And it's like, there's some blocks that offensive line can do where technically you're supposed to have this gap, but it's like, if I'm already, if I can step in this direction and beat this guy off the snap here, why would I worry about trying to beat him outside if I, if I can already make the play inside? Mm-hmm. Because it's like, we, it's called, it's like a fake block. Like when some guys overreach, it's like, why should I fight the reach block when I can just kind of need to make play? And it's just things like that in the defense. It's just, that's something I really like about it. Tell me something interesting about Greg Williams that people might not know about him. Um, let's see. Something about Greg that people might not really know. Um, hell, I feel like everybody knows this guy. Well, <laughs> when you're in his classroom, you have to, I mean, there's no like. Oh, he actually, he actually laughs and cuts up every now and then. Uh-huh. Mostly at other people's expenses, but you know, he still laughs. Yeah, he's pretty intense. And I, he laughs at laughs at people. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's when he starts laughing. Well, let me ask you this: you know, every time in the NFL, when a coordinator, you know, does a good job with a unit, he, his name always pops up in rumors, like head coaching rumors. If Greg were to get a head coaching job somewhere, how how big a loss would that be for the Jets? Uh, you know, I mean, I feel like with uh, the things Greg done, I mean, uh, it'd be a pretty like it, it would it would be this. But, uh, you know, I'm also confident in, um, the, uh, people upstairs and Joe and that they would hire a guy that, uh, would be perfectly fit for the team and everything as well. But it would definitely be, uh, definitely suck to see him go. Yeah, for sure. Well, Jordan, I really appreciate you stopping by. Best of luck in Buffalo on Sunday. Thank you. And reaching into the Twitter mailbag for this week's questions. And the first one comes from at Tony Motts 72. Will Joe Douglas allow Gase to influence him that it's in the team's best interest to move on from Le'Veon Bell and take the cap hit and lose a game-changing type player when I believe there's a team option after next year which can't hurt them? Uh, I think we know which way you're leaning on this one, Tony. Uh, and you are right. It stands to reason that if the longer they wait in the contract, the less severe the cap hit is. And in 2021, there's no more guaranteed money in the contract. So it would be easier to escape. In 2020, he's got 13.5 million in guarantees, which is going to make it very hard to trade him, virtually impossible to cut him. But yet, I think Adam Gase will go to Joe Douglas and try to have him make that move. Uh, remains to be seen whether he will do it or not. Now, one one footnote, you know, the Jets signed another running back, Kenneth Dixon, uh, last week. He's a guy who's played with the Ravens, and I was really curious about why they would do that late in the year. I did find out that he actually signed a two-year contract, so he will be with the team in 2020. Just a little footnote there. Next question comes from at Mo Geffs. We're finally seeing some explosiveness from Quinn and Williams between this last game and the little bit he played before in Miami before he got hurt. It seems that he's doing less two-gapping and maybe a little more off-field stuff. Uh, is that true? Uh, I do agree that you're seeing a little bit more explosiveness out of Quinnen, and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that his ankle is healthy. Early in the year, he had a high ankle sprain, which limited his get-off and ability to be disruptive. I don't think it has anything to... The Jets really are not a two-gapping defense. Greg Williams 
wants his guys to penetrate upfield. So I don't think it's a scheme thing. I think it's more of a health thing. Next question from Ad Creasy Jr. Uh, what are the chances of Robbie Anderson re-signing with the Jets? I think right now it, the odds are not great. I wouldn't say they're bad. I'd say it's somewhere in the middle, maybe 50-50, 40-60. The fact is that he's going to be looking for, I believe, up to $15 million a year. And the Jets like him. They like what he's done over the last few weeks. But I just don't think they're going to go that high. So unless they sign him in the next few days before the season ends, Robbie will hit the open market, I believe, and I think he'll probably end up elsewhere. Next question from at Dan Schnock. It's no secret that Gase was brought in to develop Sam Darnold and get him to the next level. It seems that Gase's development as a head coach in his second and possibly last head gig is equally important. Have you seen anything that indicates improvement from Miami? Really good question about Adam Gase. Um, you know, it's really hard to say. I wasn't closely involved in the Miami situation. I think maybe, you know, he's learning a lot about dealing with a young quarterback. Something has never done before. He had an older guy in Ryan Tannehill in Miami. So I think he's learning more about the pace with which he can bring along younger players. That would be a positive. You'd like to think he's learned a little bit more about player relations he had some issues in Miami with some big-name players. This year, he's had some with uh, Kaleche Osemele, but really not any of the other big-name players, so maybe some improvement there. One one thing I want to add on Gase, a lot of fans on Twitter really jumped on that Ed Reed video, which he posted on Instagram, and it was a very cryptic video, and it's many thought he was taking a shot at Adam Gase. Here's what happened. Ed Reed was at the facility last week. He was doing an interview for the NFL Network. He sat down with Jamal Adams, and it was not directed at Adam Gase. I can tell you that. I think even Ed addressed that in a follow-up on Instagram saying it wasn't directed at Gase. I think it may have been directed at someone else on the Jets' non-football staff, but uh, that was not a Gase reference. People were quick to jump to a conclusion. Even some of my colleagues in the news business uh, unfairly jumped to conclusions there, and it's always dangerous when you do that before you have the facts. It was not directed at Adam Gase. Next question from at CJ Santorelli. Any chance of prying Trent Williams away from the Redskins? What would they have to give up? Uh, could they do it for Le'Veon Bell and or a third to seventh round pick? CJ, the Jets are not going to go after Trent Williams, even though they will be looking for a left tackle. Trent is going to be 32 years old. He's going to make $12.5 million next year. He hasn't played football in a year. I don't think they want to go down that road. He was a fantastic player when he was healthy, but he's an older type player. And for that money, I'd just assume bring back Kelvin Beecham, who's younger, who's done a solid job, would cost less. I do think they'll draft a left tackle, possibly in the first round. But no, I do not see them at all going after Trent Williams. Next one from uh, at McGlynn55. How can the offense become more consistent in 2020 after the first drive? Is Gase able to evolve as a play caller to make that happen? If not, he shouldn't be the guy. 
Really fair question here because the Jets have scored on seven opening drives this year. So seven out of 15 games. They've done it a lot lately, which is a really positive sign. It's good preparation. It shows good scripting by Adam Gase. The players are prepared mentally, physically. You always want a team come out strong like the Patriots do every week. But they fall off after that. You saw it against Pittsburgh. Great first drive, but only three field goals after that. And that is an area where Gase has to improve because teams make adjustments after the first drive. You have to make counter moves. I think he can evolve as a play caller now that he knows what he has in Sam Darnold and some of the players around him. But you are definitely correct, an area that needs to be improved. And our last question from at Mr. Met 073-23098. I'd love to know what those numbers symbolize, Mr. Met. But his question is, does Greg Williams leave for a head coaching job? Uh, no, I do not think he leaves for a head coaching job. He's done a fantastic job as the Jets defensive coordinator. I think he's interested in being a head coach. He's made no secret of that. I think he will attract some interest. Maybe the Washington Redskins call and bring him in for an interview. He's got a past relationship with that organization, having coached there. But will he land a head job? No, I think he's 61 years old, if I'm not mistaken. And also... The Bounty Gate scandal, even though we're removed from that almost 10 years, it's just a stain on his record. And I think a team would have a hard time selling that to their fan base. And unfortunately, I don't think he's going to get a head job. He's a really good coach. He's done a great job with the Jets defense. But I don't think a team is willing to make him the face of their franchise. That works out for the Jets because I do believe he'll be back next year. Unless something crazy happens, he'll be back. It's good for the Jets. And welcome to the fourth quarter. The Jets are closing their season in Buffalo this week. Technically Orchard Park, but I think you know the deal. Um, and, you know, it's interesting that they're ending here. It seems like so many games, some, some of the most emotional type games in Jets history have occurred in that stadium. The stadium's name has changed and even the stadium's changed a little, but it's basically the same place. And having covered the team for so long, I just have some very, very vivid memories, some gut-wrenching memories of stuff that's happened in that stadium. And I think back to 1992, I call it the Dennis Bird game. I've talked about it a little bit in the past, the week after Dennis suffered a broken neck and was temporarily paralyzed. The Jets go up there as use underdogs, win a game they had no right being in against an outstanding Buffalo team. And after the game, so many of the players crammed into this little side room off the locker room and held a live conference call with Dennis to his hospital bed in New York City. And just to see those players, you know, those were happy tears, you know, guys coming out of the locker room, out of that conference call, just really emotional because they had dedicated that game to Dennis. So that's one memory. Then in 1998, the Jets go up there, they win the game, they clinch their first division title since the merger in 1970. And uh, Bill Parcells, you know, big, tough Jersey guy, Bill Parcells, 
was so overcome with emotion when he addressed the team after the game that it struck so many players. They had never seen that side of him, but he just got caught up in in the victory. And afterwards, some guys were telling me how he just really broke down addressing the team. The moment I remember is when I walked into the locker room, and they have a really small locker room there in that stadium. And you walk in, and there was a table. And I remember seeing Mo Lewis dancing on the table wearing an AFC East baseball cap and Mo Lewis had been a guy who was so miserable and beaten down by the losing for years and years I never saw him smile and to see him up on that table just dancing around was real it really struck me as as at a moment you know a moment in time that the Jets had arrived as a championship caliber team just seeing the look on his face then of course in 2015 the Jets go up last game of the year in Buffalo. All they need to do is beat a depleted Buffalo team that was coached by Rex Ryan. They would have qualified for the playoffs, winning their in, and they basically just choked their brains out. They played an awful game and uh, never forget, you know, walking in there and seeing Sheldon Richardson just sitting at his locker, just openly crying just weeping. I mean, the emotion in that locker room after that game was just so intense. Maybe one of the two or three most intense post-game locker rooms that I've ever covered. And I just have that sight in my mind of Sheldon Richardson just crying openly. So every time they go to Buffalo, stuff like that happens. I don't know if that'll happen on Sunday. It's not that type of game. There's not a lot on the line for the Jets or the Bills for that matter. I think the Jets just want to end with a winning streak. They want to end 7-9, and nine, which would be a great turnaround. But I don't think the game has the stakes that would elicit that kind of gut reaction. But you never know. Crazy things happen in Buffalo. And that's the end of the podcast. I just want to wish everyone a happy holidays season and a happy new year coming up. Thank you so much for following along all year. This was my rookie year doing a podcast, and so there were probably some bumps in the road along the way, but thanks for bearing with me. We're going to do this from time to time in the off season, certainly as we get closer to free agency and the draft. And as the news dictates, we will certainly continue the podcast uh, throughout the off season, and I will give you advance notice when that happens. I want to thank my producer extraordinaire, Jeff Scopin, who's done this with me every week and really helped take a novice at it and try to indoctrinate him into the world of podcasts. And I appreciate that and uh, really, really appreciate it. I had a fantastic time doing this and just want to wish everyone a happy 2020. Maybe in 2020, there will be brighter days ahead for the Jets. Take care.